The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is the opening program of a long-term series, The New E-Letters from America, to which I have aspired to for so many years. It has not been an easy task to define where to begin and where to end. It is also not without trepidation that this opening program raises significant questions to the enormity of a heartache through which a country such as this can be feeling during a time of great flux. A word used purposely in lure critical terminology that regularly appears in the media, which neither serves nor denounces with any pragmatic sense or reason. It would have been easier to chart the tumultuous past in supporting a present theme of unity and prosperity. It's a sad irony that the past now appears to be more vibrant and impressionable than the times we live in today. The United States of America has confused liberty and law with greed, consumerism and fantasy, where people consider liberty as an open-ended license and morality a subjective right. As the hearts of men was born and shaped through a single bite from forbidden fruit, so does this country suffer from the same darkness that pervades every nerve in body and collective soul. On my journey to America, now two decades past, where water has flowed under bridge and weir, the values even then only desperately intact have accelerated further into freefall, leaving behind a deep wake of malice and resentment among people. Where once the stubborn and worn landed on shores of opportunity, with no expectation but to work, persevere, and perhaps, if fortunate, live to see the next day. The people and society of this great country have been steered by consummated manipulation, and the premise of living not only beyond means, but against moral fortitude. Here in a place where restraint is a thin fibre, long since persecuted by persistent flaunting of the powerful corporate mansions. This may reflect a degradation seen in America, where the political system has become an oligarchy, ruled by the few with financial power over those with developing resignation to the ending of a free market and therefore free nation. Wikipedia defines the word well as a political theory first developed by the German syndicalist sociologist Robert Mitchells in his 1911 book, Political Parties. 
it states that all forms of organization, regardless of how democratic or autocratic they may be at the start, will eventually inevitably develop into oligarchies. The reason for this are the technical indispensability of leadership and the tendency of the leaders to organize themselves and to consolidate their interests, the gratitude towards the leaders, and the general immobility and passivity of the masses. During the years of my predecessor from the post-war period, through to his unrelenting last program in 2004, even then, in this country he recognized a decadence raising like tall flames, fighting an aspired vitality of which those generations fought so passionately to attain and keep. Many times with their lives and of those that stood by their side. Immigrants who followed the founding fathers with the same careless dream to feed families and souls. To this very day, men, women and children are still landing on these shores and fleeing wars, famine and natural disasters. Haiti perhaps provides the most daunting example of how natural forces outside of man's control can lead to so much trauma, disease and mortality. Have we as a nation supported the poor people of this country enough in their desperate hour? Or is it yet another opportunity for corporations to sweep up the pieces in an effort to line already overloaded pockets? But it always has been the great attribute of America's selflessness to carry the burden of other countries' pain. History supports that statement but now the tide may have turned where political and economic factors within the moral dilemma may have replaced old age notions of simple caring, philanthropy and chivalry. Pain at times of war, famine or persecution has always been alleviated by American relief. During other crises, they continue to flee from tin-pot dictators and war-torn countries where the very attributes that America represent are chastised by those from whom they escape in fear, an America seen as evil perpetrators of capitalism and religious anarchy. They, like all those whose long journey landed them on these shores, yearned for a promised freedom, a freedom not unlike that one in which America stood for in its fight for independence. Finally to dawn on a summer's day in early July of 1776. John Adams, as one of the principal founding fathers of this nation we now call America, may have hoped for a kinder progress than the one we view today. Progress being one of the key attributes that they had then hoped for in a long-suffering campaign for autonomy. Within two days of the signatures by Congress, Ratifying the Declaration of Independence, John Adams wrote to his wife Abigail, The second day of July 1776 will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the Great Anniversary Festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance, by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, 
with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires and illuminations. From one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward, forevermore. In 1787, 12 of 13 states met to revise the system that had been developed up to that point by the Constitution of the United States. Under this, a central government was created with the intent of leaving individual states alone to govern themselves. This created a healthy market economy between states. The premise of competition defined America as a nation where people worked towards freedom or failed in poverty. The Federalist Papers were collected essays, which finally attributed to the Bill of Rights designed to restrict the power of central government. These rights, however, fell short, and although they restricted government, people themselves received limited rights. In 1825, Thomas Jefferson described the Declaration of Independence as an appeal to the tribunal of the world. It was suggested, therefore, that this talk to the freedom of the American mind sadly eroded today by crosswires in religion, politics, and ethics. When Benjamin Franklin stated, when signing the Declaration of Independence, we must all hang together, or assuredly, we shall all hang separately. He may have also subconsciously predicted the uncertainty in which this country finds itself today. His designation of the then Republic ruled by law was by referral to the Greek methodology that pointed out that without law, there is no freedom. American society has redefined this as a democracy, ruled by the majority. Whereas the initial premise of Franklin's Republic to rule by law, allowing people to be uninterrupted by government, it could be democracy that has seen the impending implosion where government has become unstable. Could this be the erosion that Franklin could prophesize when he responded to the question, Sir, what have you given us? Only to respond, A republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. It is well documented that a democracy was avoided at all costs by the founders of this country. In fact, James Madison, known as the father of the Constitution, wrote in The Federalist, Democracies have ever been spectacles of turbulence and contention, have ever been found incompatible with personal security or the rights of property and have in general been short in their lives, as they have been violent in their deaths. During the following years, America was characterized by moral code and the laws provided under the Ten Commandments. At the same time, its use of freedom demonstrated the need for limited government, intervention and the right for every man and woman to remain unimpeded in their American dream. The founders stated as self-evident truth in the Declaration of Independence that men are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, meaning that God gave man his rights of which life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. 
In the very next sentence, they define the proper role of government, quoting, "To secure these rights, governments are instituted." This, in effect, positions governments as a negative effect on society, meaning that citizens are left to their own devices, where dreams, unimpeded by inappropriate taxes and regulatory controls, leads to prosperity and freedom of choice. On the opposite side of the coin, the fathers did not expect government to be a positive force. That is, to create a system of socialized support, compromising one citizen by being made responsible for another. As has been seen in Europe in recent years, the ultimate outcome is a system that gains control over both parties. Is it that any country or empire is destined to burn bright until the final minute, until social ineptitude brings down the very framework from within, whether by hanging or any other deliberate sabotage? What is it that has diluted the American principles that were created to celebrate freedom, unity, progression, responsibility, and accountability? Because surely all these have been severely damaged, and perhaps mortally wounded. Is it that the same causes responsible for the implosion of the Roman Empire can also be cited for the country as we call the land of the free? Rome, like America, at its time of independence, was a republic, where government was restricted, according people the freedom to live, work, and prosper. It should be realized that where governments grow, people's freedom recedes. The Roman Empire suffered from increased government power, resulting in corruptness, giving way to less productivity and social discontent. A former republic gave way to democracy, eventually turning it into an oligarchy. Under a progression of Caesar's society shaped through greed, sexual addiction, and collapsing moral standards that led eventually to its destruction from within. Is this the course that America has to run, or should we always return to history and learn from its failures? Benjamin Franklin's statement: "As nations become corrupt and vicious." They have more need of masters. Should perhaps be one that deserves more attention than ever before. But with all this said, America has evolved with an abundance of natural resources, vision, and perseverance. Many other countries were offered the same benefit, but it was the American drive since its independence that created wealth. Over those in faraway lands that lacked ingenuity or chose opposing political ideologies, America learned how to cultivate their resources by building tools that became the capital to grow and prosper. At the turn of the twentieth century, never seen before was the might of America's will to develop industry and, along with it, capitalism. Capitalism in the form of time, effort, and creation of tools in building that capitalistic empire. 
At the same time, countries in the post-war Eastern Bloc and Asian societies decided to rule under the failed mantra of communism. The very dictatorial society in which people were manipulated ultimately fell because the very paradigm forced upon its society was in the end to replicate in a covert way the principles of capitalism. The only question arising from this paradox is the body which governs the capital itself. The communistic party regimes held the capital at gunpoint in monopolistic fashion, opposed to an American free enterprise system that allowed for free market enterprise. Is it not an irony that the economic and political battle has always found itself in no man's land? Between these two extremes, where communistic endeavors that still reign today under hypocritical agendas, Americans dream of free enterprise that allowed its citizens to act as their own capitalists, with safety nets supplied through regulatory controls by government, controls protecting the individual and corporate groups from fraud and shady immoral dealings. By vindicating the damaged party in any area of life, free trade continued with limited government intervention, ensuring that the very fabric of free enterprise could survive, without compromise to any party. The American way of life cherished personal property, where title, purpose, and transfer of that asset could transpire, without damage to individual corporate body and government. Most important, America as a free enterprise society ensured that property remained under the control of its rightful owner, who worked hard to earn the right of possession. This key point is where America and its original founders designed a system where property remains strictly under the control of its owner, with little or no governance or possession. Through government intervention, countering the communistic and monopolistic policy of demanding state ownership in partnership with private ownership, a failed policy that creates fear and compromise of a free society, resulting in inflationary pressures and ultimately greed. Karl Marx clearly had it wrong, overseeing a communistic manifesto that stated principally communism as the destruction and abolition of private property. As a dictator and so-called leader of people, his clandestine view underpinned the warped need for power in all areas of life. A power that ruled by fear and eradication of any free will and development of a human being's right to become his or hers own capitalist. The paradox again is that this not only defines the foundation of communism, but also socialism, the death knell of any forward-thinking free society, where competition is rewarded by strength of character, freedom, and enterprise. In the last century, a burgeoning and futile battle always existed, in the form of communism, socialism, fascism, and even Nazism, all eating away at America's wealth by creating conflict and economic stalemate. 
that has been counterproductive to the continuance of America's dream by bleeding its savings dry. This continues to the present day, not under those guises necessarily, but through hunger for oil and the questionable philosophy of liberation in fragile countries around the world. So as communism, with its acute failed doctrines, imploded, we now intently watch in America, where capitalism could follow suit if ways to satisfy unemployment and sustainability are not met. As Mussolini controlled the output of society, demanding when, where and how products should be distributed, so the corporate mansions of America have manipulated its society and people under a different paradigm, perhaps different in face value but resulting in the same outcome. Nazism, while taking ownership of some companies like Volkswagen during the war, remained hands-off with others. But control over business is as bad, if not worse, than mandatory ownership. It leads to national socialism, which has become the hallmark of Europe since 1970, and has certainly led to a downward spiral of social ethics and individual determination. This socialism now pervades American society, where government takes control initially over industry, healthcare and utilities. Eventually, without realizing the consequences, control takes over virtually everything else, as taxes increase, free enterprise dissolves, and individuals' drives sinks into an abyss of reliance upon the very system that drains them financially and psychologically. America has, at an alarming rate, taken this road in recent years first by the use of hopeless so-called TARPs with little or no accountability, followed by government ownership of a devalued automobile industry and now healthcare, both contributing to a burgeoning deficit. Yet at the end of the day, this confusion over political and economic direction can be divided into two categories. Sadly, both are extreme, with free enterprise the inspiration of American dream, leveraged and threatened on the other end of the spectrum by a faulted monopolistic state-owned oligarchy, this, of course, in the post-war years, an emerging and threatening communistic regime. During his time, my predecessor, Alistair Cook, witnessed the establishment of Israel and the erosion of the Catholic Church which, not unlike Rome, has found itself implode efficiently from within. The Jewish faith has found fault in the Catholic tradition and covertly invades its private chambers. Yet America remains forever ambitious in supporting Israel as its friend against the Muslim majority in the Middle East. While continuing to occupy countries all over the world, the costs of which betray the very people within its borders, who so desperately need reorganization and faith in their government. It is extraordinary that Cook addressed an America through the most amazing historical period. Amazing not in the context of progressive servitude, but emphasizing three major areas of social and psychological state. Fear in the 50s, 
lust in the 60s and 70s with greed prevalent and rolling as thunder across the American heartland. Until recently, and possibly still evident today in Wall Street's perverse halls of power. Now we have returned with a vengeance to fear since the beginning of a self-induced recessionary crisis in 2007. A crisis that has crippled the very soul of American society and principles of freedom, social frugality and fair play. During the period 1950 and up to and including a present dilemma that America finds itself in, one would argue to the nature of that progression. Was the fear of Cold War presented by the closeness to conflict and possible alienation during the Cuba Missile Crisis and Bear Pigs fiasco? Or the beginning of a slippery slope in changing America's prior formidable moral position? Traditional values remained, and victory over the axis of evil, while providing a sense of pride, had worn down the American financial engine. Korea was to exasperate war, weariness, while the Suez crisis continued to water down remaining gold reserves in Great Britain. But its grace continued in the form of a never-ending natural and human resource that now ruled the industrial world. Detroit was becoming the powerhouse of North America, while its larger-than-life cousin in the form of consumerism began to unfold. While the great wheels of commerce continue to drive prosperity, and the founder's premise of pursuit of happiness, alive and well, an ugly enemy lay in the shadows ready to attack the very core of society that America fought for. The fifties were governed by fear with paranoia of the enemy's unknown intentions and proliferation of nuclear weapons, a fear amplified by government films engineering the sensibilities of fallout shelters and stocks of dry foods in preparation for an attack that in the end never came. It also saw the rise of civil rights movements and the continuance of women's search for more independence. Martin Luther King's predominance was to change the face of racism forever. As the 50s rolled on, industrial output increased, and the mighty manufacturing machine gained control over the vast resources that America had to offer. Its pre-war values were maintained despite the emergence of a radical changing youth looking to dispel the foundations of family unity and social formalities. But then it was the lust of the 60s that began a downhill moral slide for an America that had always been built around family values and moral aptitude. The suit and tie establishment was under attack and family values already slammed during the latter part of the 50s. They were now under bombardment, a young electorate ravaged by illicit doctrines, drugs and sexual freedom, leaving a traditional generation in despair. During this period, a stifling combination of Woodstock pandemonium, free love, endless rallies and demonstrations proved a willingness to tear down the building with little intent on replacing it with another. News travelled quickly, 
spreading riots in Paris universities to a closer-than-ever believed anarchy, than ever seen before or indeed since. Vietnam added to the social problems at home with significant mistakes made by Lyndon B. Johnson. On taking over the White House from President Kennedy, he did not consider Vietnam a priority. More concerned with his ideas of a great society and progressive social programs. However, in November of 1963, Johnson took on the battle, remarking, the battle against communism must be joined with strength and determination. This was to begin a bloodbath compared now to the ongoing operations in Afghanistan, where CIA involvement again continues with hidden agendas and wasted taxpayers' dollars. By 1975, America became a disinterested spectator, watching as the last embers of industrial might in the United Kingdom finally came to an end. The great steel, locomotive and shipbuilding nation, once the greatest force in the world, was to finally witness its own dismantling. By now, the government-owned automobile industry was to die before the end of that decade. Ingenuity and creativity was demolished by unions and a labor administration where the government failed miserably to keep a nation intact. By 1982, Desert Storm under the stewardship of President Bush Sr. wiped out countless oil platforms in the desert between Kuwait and Iraq, only to cut short their campaign within eyeshot of the dictator Saddam Hussein's fortress. It appeared that the possession of the oil platforms being a principal target negated any further need to advance towards the more important goal. This failure referred the campaign, leaving it to his son, George W. Bush, the unenviable challenge of wiping out Iraq's dictator some 20 years later. This in retaliation for attacks upon the magnificent World Trade Center on September 11, 2001. During the frantic years of the 90s, President Clinton continued to oversee an emerging and raging economy, reducing the deficit markedly with the help of an astounding technology surge. Moral behavior in the Oval Office was to mar this achievement, sending shivers down religious corridors. By the time George W. Bush entered the White House, an equally desperate opponent arrived with the first foreign attacks on American soil. Despite its long-term effects, an economy soon returned to roar with no end in sight, to outlandishly and irresponsibly institutional behavior, marking the apex of human greed. Government efforts in responding to the impending crash have brought a nation to its knees. Not only is it in the financial, but also social religious and spiritual areas that questions have arisen about the very fabric of this society. At a time when Wall Street still burns brightly, the moral and ethical position of wandering government stranded people in a confused society emits waves of quiet resignation. A nature of greed is being replaced by the feeling of fear. Fear for the future of millions of Americans that suffer with unemployment, 
lack of self-respect and resentment for a government and financial sector that still runs with defiance, burning white hot, while money is printed at an unprecedented rate, leading to the dangerous inflationary bubble that frankly could spell an end to the American dream forever. At a time where technology has dawned mass social communication, it has, on the other hand, created as many problems for America as a whole. The words sustainability and technology used in concert appear to emit some divine solution towards maintaining profitability, with still purring stakeholders. As technology has created enormous profits in Wall Street, employment has been degraded. Where higher output partnered with lower cost has devalued and eliminated in slow order, unemployment over the last twenty years. In desperate fashion, commentators, experts, and academia have come out in force to leverage the industries with psychological, spiritual, and economic methodologies. They are, in many cases, bleeding the final consumer dry, as much as the clients they serve, who themselves do the same with consumers and wider cultural brainwashing. For those that I have had the honor to meet, there are rare examples of people holding strong vision and qualities, whose attempts at diverting climate change, ecosystem degradation, and looming environmental catastrophe are indeed admirable. What is it that will, in these fragile times, see the survival of America? At the core of America's will to counter numerous historical failures, a moral code underscored by the quotation from Proverbs fourteen thirty four, "Righteousness exalteth a nation," will dictate to my mind by sense of not only individual but corporate responsibility. The absolute necessity of turning impending failure into victory. America will come to understand in these dark days that holding tight onto the attributes of a free society with its free market dynamics will only occur by pairing the notion with strong morality. George Washington remarkably noted. Reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. This important fact is verbalized profoundly by John Adams, who said, "Our Constitution was made for a moral and religious people." His use of the word "religious" in this context cannot be confused for a singular religious intent. Or conflicts simply by the exclusion of many other religions. America, like its old foe, now friend England, has by evolution become multicultural through immigration patterns that are no different today than they were when the people of Israel travelled to the Promised Land of Canaan. Perhaps it is less likely that multicultural colouring will be in the supposed form that we fear. The Abrahamic religions, faiths, or traditions need closer examination by all people. It is not any human being's right to judge that any of these or the myriads of spin-offs, beyond accepting people's choice in that they have grown up with from birth. America has always welcomed all faiths, 
but reflects a defensive tone that is dangerous to any society when it resents other faiths beyond their own. The Declaration of Independence neither condemns nor sides with any faith beyond the moral code of faith in the God Almighty. This is a foundation which attracted immigrants over the centuries and can never be denied as a noble purpose of any nation. In bending the true meaning of the term liberty cited behind America's dream, a society appears to separate its principles from the politics, economics and freedom that form the roots of a nation. This prefers the status of security and instant gratification over the freedom of opportunity and moral self-righteousness. Benjamin Franklin's statement, only a virtuous people are capable of freedom, is possibly more appointed to the America of today than any time since its inception. All the commentators, think tanks, and liberal academic thinkers appear to violently condemn America for some reason or another. No more so is it to the media that people and society as a whole should ignore obstinately, for their constant aimless attacks are made with little sense and certainly not resulting in any deliverance of optimism or self-pride. Of all the institutions that can inflict greatest harm, it is, as in history, the implosion through internal influence, leading to discontent once again. The options available in revoking American freedom are not even worth contemplating. While the ending of the Cold War opened another can of unwanted worms, including an exaggerated form of capitalism, with its resulting greed and despair for millions. There are people in the silent minority here in the United States of America that have the will to build upon and not dismantle or raise to the ground the progression so hard fought for, notwithstanding the outcome as good or bad to this point. The premise that the people cannot afford to look back for too long at their performance in recent years is important and paramount. Instead, emphasis focusing on the principles by the Founding Fathers, encountering the false doctrines of recent years, is certainly more worthwhile in every sense. The fall of Rome from within through religious, moral and corrupt horseplay will not repeat itself in this country, in which I am, for one, proud to report from. It may be, for now, plagued with difficulties that appear unending and certainly unreasonable, but an underlying spirit presides in the collective minds of people that still rule by nothing other than our lost friend, common sense. It is in the hearts of minds of people to return government back to a purely regulatory, limited intervening institution that once again provides the hands-held-out offer of a dream in freedom. 
At the end of the day, America should hope for a government that protects its people's rights. This is the free society that the founding fathers and all peoples of the world dream of for the future. Given that, like water, human beings will take the path of least resistance, it is to that quiet minority who the people of America will indeed follow. At the end of this present crossroads, the implications of finding moral fortitude and succeeding in the fight for freedom, in every sense of the word, will define our children's world. In these programs over future years, I hope that an aspiration to produce half of that energy my predecessor Alistair Cook created over the course of half a century. Will record the shaping of a nation that doggedly climbs out of the ashes of adversity, into a reshaped piece of clay that can repeal the failures of past empires and civilizations, in a country encompassing so much raw, unimaginable beauty. There would be no other place on earth that could stir such passion in pursuing and charting a way. Back to the American dream. David Gibbons in discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff and management.